Okay, we are live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On today's show, I have a very special guest. Her name is Lizette Martinez, and she just published a book, October 2021. Title of the book is Jane Doe Number 9, How I Survived R. Kelly. It's a really fascinating first-person account of really the, the trials and travails of her relationship with this um, singer who's been in the news recently. And uh, the book is now available. They just came out with an audio version if you want to listen to that. But she can kind of talk about it and everything up to the present day and what's going on. So Lizette Martinez, welcome to the show. How are you? Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. Well, thanks for agreeing to the interview. For people who may not have heard your name or may not have seen Surviving R. Kelly, can you go back to 1995 and what where you were and what happened when you met R. Kelly? Sure. I was a 17-year-old aspiring singer. I lived in Miami with my parents and my younger brother. And I was a high I was a senior in high school. I had a lot of dreams. I um I was already working, you know, I would say I, I already had been in an R and B group. And uh that didn't pan out too well because the uh ironically the manager started a relationship with one of the girls in the group. So my mom pulled me out of that really quickly. And then I started to sing with Tito Puente Jr., whose father's a, a legend in Latin jazz. And um, and then he went to do his own thing. So I kind of like was left with, I don't know where I'm going from here. And uh, just went to the mall one day with some friends, waiting on my best friend to get off work. And I just... Uh, saw this guy with an entourage and I had previously went to his concert when I was in the group because my manager wanted us to see Aliyah, who he was her mentor and produced her record. And um, she, Aliyah didn't show up, Aliyah didn't perform, but we did see him. So when I saw him at the mall, I recognized him right away. And I said to my friend, I think that's R. Kelly. And she said, why would he be at the mall? And, you know, they didn't believe me. And then he heard me and then he came back and he turned around right away and came up and said hello to me. And I was kind of like starstruck. And right. um, yeah. So that's kind of where it first started. So he gave you his number, right? And asked you to call? His bodyguard came back yeah. and gave me his number. That's gotcha. the tip. That's that's what you keep hearing when the women tell their stories. Someone else slipped the number, came back with the number. Gotcha. And so kind of, did you sense he had an entourage at, at that first meeting? Oh, yeah, definitely. It was about six six guys with him. And the, the bodyguard was about seven feet tall. So they were very noticeable, you know what I mean? They stuck out. Right. So then, um, so he gives you the number and what happens next? Uh, we, I, the next thing is that um, I wasn't going to call really. My girlfriend came out of work and she said, what's going on? And She's my best friend and she wanted to know what, what, what that was all of, what was, you know, what that meeting was about. And I, I said, well, he said he's recording an album and, you know, we exchanged kind of like what I was doing, what he was doing. He told me he was recording at the Hit Factory, which was very near, close to our home, like where we lived in the same neighborhood. And, um, and she said, well, I think you should go. It's, you know, he mentored Aliyah and he could probably help you. You know, you're really, you're really talented. So I wasn't going to call, but she kind of like, I don't want to say pushed me into it. She didn't push me into it, but she kind of like gave me the idea that, yeah, maybe he could help me, you know? So we met at the, um, we met at the sports authority 
she liked to buy gym clothes, plays basketball a lot. And um, and when we, we got there, there's a bunch of guys, like I said, and we went to eat at Outback. And when we sat down, my best friend asked him, did, did you marry Aaliyah? He was really ballsy. I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't. Right, I, that was a secret I, at the I, time. I wanted right? to ask. It was right. a secret. Right. I wanted. I was intrigued. Of course, I wanted to know. But um, you know, he his he introduced us to to her uncle who was sitting there as well with us, and he was his manager. And so we thought, well, if if the managers and that's it, her uncle is still managing him, then it can't be true because he said, don't. He said, no, it's not true. Don't believe everything you read. Right, and she was fifteen, I think, supposedly when they got married. Right, so that was yeah. Uh, so, right, so. Yeah, so, supposedly it was proven in court. So yeah, he was. She was fifteen. Right, so that was like a, a rumor at that time. So there was. It was a, a rumor, right. right? And what happened next? Um, then I sang for him. Well, he put his. He, he sat next to me, and he put his hand on my thigh, and I kind of like. I, I squirmed like I I felt uncomfortable. I knew something was really wrong with this guy, um, but I stayed. You know, I really wanted to be a singer, and more importantly, I wanted to get out of my house. You know, my house, my home life wasn't the best, and I really wanted to help my family too. But I really wanted out. Um, and I say that because people say, "Oh, what if he put his hand on your on your lap?" Didn't you know? I was a kid. I was seventeen. You know. Right, and he kind of made promises to you, like you're going to be big, or he was kind of giving you. No, he was. He you. he, you know, when I sang for them, they 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 clapped, they loved it, and then we went to the studio. I mean, who gets an opportunity like this? It sounds like unreal, you know. You're 17. You're want to be a singer, and you meet a famous singer, and then he takes you to the studio, like all in like a few hours. You know what I mean? So we got there and. Quickly, they took my, his cousin took my best friend to another room to like where they were playing pool and watching television and stuff and left me behind with Rob. And um, then I sang at the piano and then he kissed me and I didn't even know how to receive that. I didn't even, I didn't kiss back. I just kind of was frozen. So it kind of started, that was the first day, right? Right. Right. And um. You said that he was really musically gifted, but also didn't know how to read music, right? Which he is extremely gifted. He plays so many instruments. He doesn't write a thing down. He just has an idea, plays the piano, and then goes into the booth. So, you know, when you're around someone like that and you love music so much, it's, like, really unreal. And um, you feel like you, you sh you're lucky, you know? I, I'm lucky to be in this situation. Yeah, and it sounded like in your book, like you were impressed at the time with all of the technology, soundboard. Yeah, I was. I would never. I'd, I'd been to the studio with my group that I told you about, but that I talk about. But um, this is the Hit Factory. I mean, the Bee Gees. Every everyone that you can imagine was on, you know, on the wall. So right. it was just a really impressionable. Right, right there, in Miami Beach area. Um, North and Miami it, Beach. Was, could he not read either? Is that correct? He couldn't read? No, he, uh, he cannot read. He cannot read. Fascinating. So he creates all that music himself without reading music or being able to read um, just like read normal words. And it seemed like that was a sensitive issue. Is that is that correct? 
Yeah, I mean, it was it was a sensitive issue. He didn't really admit that, but you know, I could tell. You know, he sometimes. Well, there was a there was a time we were at the studio, and another time, not you know, shortly after this night, um, where I kind of like I felt like I had to correct him because he said something completely made no sense. But I knew what he was trying to say. And um, I just innocently tried to correct him in, in a nice way. You know, I didn't want to embarrass him or anything like that. But he quickly got upset with me, berated me, yelled at me in front of everyone. And that was like the first time that I was like, whoa, he's very, there's two sides to him. And then, then afterward, he would apologize and then, you know, be the nicest little Rob. Right. But it, yeah, it seemed like you said, I think you wrote in your book, nobody ever wants to upset him ever. No. So it's a sensitive right. situation. No, what, because I looked around the room and the engineers and then the, everyone was afraid to say anything. Like they were, they're just letting it go. And I'm like, somebody has to say something. I mean, you can't record this. It makes no sense. And, you know, I was just an innocent girl. You know, I didn't think he was going to blow up the way he did. And totally, I mean, I cried. Right. And how did it progress from there? I mean, what the the abuse just your relation, or... your your music, and the relationship with R. Kelly, right back from nineteen ninety five. Okay, so then after that, we would see each other quite often after school. But there was always promise of music, but prom, you know, the music never happened. And um, he went away to Chicago and came back quickly, and um, then invited me to a party, and that's where. I say the rape happened because I was given alcohol and I never drank alcohol. And um, yeah, that's in the book. Right. So that was kind of the first time. And also, can you retell the story about what happened at the beach too? Oh yeah. Well, um, there was a day that I didn't go to school. My aunt and uncle were in town and I wanted to spend time with them because I never really see them. They were in New York. And I went to the beach, we were on the bus and then we got off the bus and we were walking and I just saw like a car with a bunch of guys and I just had a really bad feeling. And so I just kept going to the beach and then he appeared on the pier and he was just staring there, like standing there for like forever, just watching me and my, my aunt. And my best friend is the one that called me and said, oh, my God, you were at the beach. Rob, Robert saw you. And I was like, that was him. Like, I couldn't tell if it was him or not, but it was it was him. And I'm like, how the hell did he find out where I was and how to, you know what I mean? Like, it was right. just so creepy and weird. And then he, he made it seem as though, oh, no, I was just like, I really wanted to see you. And I'm like, I just couldn't understand how how that happened. But it happened. Right. So it's almost like he was keeping tabs on you or having somebody keep tabs yes. on you from the beginning. Yeah. From the beginning. Wow. And he also. <laughs> There's so much beach here. Like, how do you, you know what I mean? Like, right. how do you know? Like, and then you're just standing there and just watching us. And it's just like so weird. Creepy, yeah. Eerie. And he also didn't like you to talk to his friends, too. Right. Right. Can so, you talk more about that? Yeah. I mean, he was uh, very over, like, uh, controlling, and he's a predator, so he's a narcissist, so everything is about him. And so we sat, you know, it, I like I said, I was an innocent girl. I didn't know anything. It just was Lizette, you know, just was myself. 
and we went to eat and his friend said something funny and I laughed and I shouldn't have done that apparently <laughs> because he took me outside and he hit me and and then he said you know fix your face and I started crying and then I came inside and I tried to fix my 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 makeup and he and then he embarrassed me again and said girls you know you should know better you're not you, uh, women don't fix their makeup at the table and I'm like thinking to myself I'm a 17 year old kid and you just hit me right so it started very early and he also kind of like you had uh, things there where he was really trying to keep you secret right so like holding you down nobody could take your picture oh yeah no one can take my picture we, we would drive in the car he would put my head down and make sure that my head was down and if I didn't I would get in trouble and he would yell at me and there was someone in the car famous it was famous now but he wasn't famous then and he was trying to talk to me and ask me if I if I had a sister and I was like no and like I was like afraid like please don't talk to me and um he got really jealous and it was just a lot of abuse you know I was really abused by this person Right, and the age difference was significant. How old was he at the I time? I was 17 and he was 28. 28, right. So he's 10 years older. And he, and you kind of got the, I mean, I got that sense in your book that you soon realized you weren't the only one, right? Right. I mean, there were, there was an, there was an incident where I went to the house and he jumped the fence because he, he, he wasn't, if, what a story that is, but yeah. We jumped the fence to get in the house and he told me to and he told me he was gonna be there and then the gate wasn't open and get in the go in the house and I was so afraid of him. And I said, Okay, fine. So we did and then there was girl stuff everywhere and I was just like, What is going on here? I didn't I didn't know what was going on. It's supposed to start off as a mentorship and then it's turned into this, my first relationship ever. And um yeah, he's just uh he just had other girls. And I found out later on, I found out when the documentary aired that there was actually a girl at my school that was seeing, uh, having uh, this uh, relationship with him as well. Wow. I didn't yeah. know that till I was a grown woman, till I came out on BuzzFeed News in 2018. My friend sat me down and told me that. And I was like shocked. I was like, oh my God, how many more, how many other victims are there? Right. And they, I mean, I thought saw a sequence, not in your book, but that going to high schools was his... Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, but you know, the thing is, like, this person is very, uh, you know, he's just he knows what he's doing. He he knows how to make his personality into someone like younger that you feel like it's your friend. You know, you know what I mean? It's like there's three different people. It's like Robert the kid, and then Robert the uh, abuser, and then Robert the singer. You know, it's like so many different parts of him that you never know what you're going to get. Right. And I think you said it wasn't all like he bought you things. He took you places. So it wasn't all, you know, there were moments of abuse. No, but he was grooming me. Grooming, See, right, that's right. what the thing is. This is grooming. This is what you call grooming. Because it would all, you know, the way I ended up. You know, as a sex, I mean, let's just put it, I mean, I was just like a prostitute sitting in rooms waiting on him. And, you know, a girl that was so happy and so innocent. And then he turned me into that. And then not only that, gave me an STD that I have to live with forever.
And he got you very sick with uh, mono. Can you talk right. about that? Well, yeah. I mean, he, I, I went to a, a concert of his and I saw him and I hadn't seen him in a little bit. And uh, as one of our, like, I didn't want to really be bothered with him. I wanted to go to my prom. I wanted to do, I wanted to get back to my life. And um, then he appears again and promising that he's going to get his record label. At this point, I didn't really give two shits. I was like, I don't even, I don't believe anything he says. But at this point, I was already groomed and I already, I, I felt like I loved him today. I know that's not love. But um, I thought I was, you know, I was a young girl and, and I'm an empath. So I kind of like felt for him too, because he was abused as a kid. So all, I had all these emotions and all these feelings about the situation. So I did see him again and and um, he gave me mono and my mono turned into um, Guillaume Barre and he was nowhere to be found. He sent my mother a thousand dollars and that was it. And I almost died. I was in the ICU for three weeks and they told my father prepare for a funeral. Yeah, and when yeah. I did speak with him, he said, oh, I had that, but I'm better. And I have found out that he canceled some concert dates. So. so he didn't tell you he didn't he was no. kind of, yeah 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 and you kind of had to learn to walk again and all I had to learn how to walk I had to, my 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 whole nervous system basically was shutting down and if my dad hadn't taken me to the hospital when he did my lungs were gonna collapse within the next few hours I mean I was really 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 sick wow. and um you know I had to learn how to walk again I had to learn how to use the knife and fork and my face was paralyzed it was a nightmare i mean it was a complete it was really 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 scary and can you kind of talk like he has had such a furtive kind of shady like he was always moving and kind of he wanted you to keep flying to chicago and meet him can you talk about some of those stories about that tra the traveling that you did to Kind of sit in these hotel rooms like it's, it was. Yeah, I mean, cute. when I turned 18 is when I started traveling because I guess he knew that that was, you know, 17. You can't travel. You you get charged with the Man Act, which he did ironically get charged with that. Right. Good point. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So he said, you know, when I turned 18, I moved to New York City and I lived in the Lower East Side with my aunt. And that was another situation. You know, I come from families that there's a lot of alcoholism in the family. And she was, and I mean, she meant well, and I loved her to death, but it wasn't a good situation. But I, you know, I wanted to get away from my mother and, um, and him too. I kind of like just wanted to get away from everyone. So I moved there and then he found me again and I went to Chicago. And the first time I went there, he showed up when I got there and then didn't show up for another two days. And I'm sitting there with no money for food not knowing where he is, calling to find out what's going on. Then he shows up the, like right before I'm leaving and makes me, you know, have sex with him and do what he wants and then just leaves again. Like that was the introduction to Chicago and it was awful. And I cried the whole way home. And you did that for uh, a certain period of time, correct? Like travel to Chicago. and Yeah, I did. I did that. I did that for a while. Yeah, but then and you saw you saw he wasn't the only one. No, sometimes you know, sometimes I would see young girls at the hotel, and I'm like, this is like a five star hotel. This is a very expensive place. Like they have to be here for him. Like I just had the feeling 
like after a few years, I was just like, I just got hit to the game. You know what I mean? And, and, and I lost myself and I started to become really depressed in those hotel rooms. I had a miscarriage in that hotel by myself, you know, um, I just went through hell, you know, I just didn't know how to just completely, you know, walk away from him. I gave up on opportunities that I had for my own career because he was like, I don't want you to do that. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do, I'm going to help you. I'm going to get my label, you know, cause he was, he, he was going to get his own label under Sony or Jive Records. And he did eventually, but I had already been long gone. And, you know, he said he had plans for me. And so I, I, I rushed back to, you know, I was in New York about to meet, meet with Motown executives. Um, you know, these couple that I met really believed in me and they told me they wanted me. It makes me cry because that was like a really big opportunity. And I, and I just didn't, I didn't, I didn't follow through, you know, I was just so out of it and so not myself. I mean, there's just like you, it's pretty clear, like you're in an abusive relationship, tons of anxiety, depression, yeah. and some like you're going through emotional roller coaster, it seems like. And it was worse, like you, like you told the story of some people next to you in the hotel room. Can you retell that story? Well, uh, you mean um, when the girls, when the, the young women that were there? Yeah, didn't, didn't you discover him in a hotel room? Yes, right yes. Yeah, I did. Yeah, there was a time where he never showed up, and his manager at the time, well, it was his role manager. He came, you know, he came to my room where I was staying with him, and he was like, "Oh no, I'm gonna switch your room." I thought that was so weird, but I was like, "Okay, fine." So I went with him, and he switched the room to another room, and then I hear like a whole party going on next door, and. I was like so anxious and my friend was my friend was with me. That was actually we had just gone to the concert of his and she was like, I have to leave. So she left and I heard him and laughing and clearing his throat. And I mean, I knew this guy inside and out. I know it's kind of weird, but you just when you know somebody, you know somebody. And I heard him talking and, and I was like, he must be in there with these girls. And long and behold, he was in there with these girls having a whole party and then he got out of the room and he, you know, he used to do drugs like he did cocaine. I never did the stuff. I never did anything like that, but I knew I knew what it looked like and how he would behave. And he came out and his pants were undone and it was just like, oh, you know, I was just crying. I was just like hysterical crying. Like, what is going on? Like, well, how could you do this to me again? And then he was blamed it on me because, like I said, he's a narcissist. And, oh, you always want to be with your friends. And I'm like, I want to be with my friends because I'm a teenager. You know, <laughs> I'm still like 19, like, you know, 20 years old. I'm still young, you know, and you just have me here. And my friends don't, my friends didn't like him. My friends, everyone that knew, you know, something, they didn't, any, not everyone knew because I didn't, I was very private with it and I didn't want to. I didn't want to tell anyone what it what what I had turned into. I was embarrassed. Um, but you know, people that did know closest to me, they just really, really disliked him. And how did you start taking those steps to put him into your past? Well, um, I moved out on my own. I got an apartment. I started working at the hospital. And I kind of just wanted a normal life. And I started to 
you know, just work and a normal job, you know, I gave up on my dreams. I didn't want to be in that industry. I thought it was dark and it was horrible. And so, you know, I started to kind of like rebuild my life by myself. And then I went to Chicago to see a friend and he tracked me down again. And he was like, I want you to stay. And I'm like, how does this guy know that I'm here? And how is he calling the phone? Like right when I'm sitting here packing my clothes and begging me to stay and he'd give me any amount of money. And I just didn't want to. And, and then there's something else that happened that someone reminded me of. I met up with an old friend he, and um, he's like, you don't remember that Robert called my house and said, I'll give you a million dollars if you give her back. I guess he thought the guy and I were boyfriend, you know, were seeing each other. Hmm. And I'm like, are you serious? And then I started to remember, it's like, sometimes you put things away and they don't, you know, like you forget about things and then someone will say something and then you're like, oh my God, yeah, that did happen. You know, and it was like, this is the creepiness. Like, how the hell did he track my friend's phone number down? Like, he had people on me. He knew uh, everything I would do. when I, If I would leave the hotel, he would, He knew. Right. You said that. Yeah. So somebody was watching or something. Right. Either somebody the doorman was or something. Me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's segments in your book of, like, you have this eerie feeling of somebody watching you. It's really something else. So it's amazing. Like, he had a network of contacts or something. A big entourage. A huge entourage, and I think he had people in the streets, you know, he would pay to sit there probably at the hotel and just watch me, you know, because he knew everything. I mean, he like, I don't even know, I even know you went down and smoked a cigarette, like, all kind of like, he knew everything that I did. Yeah, that's how it gets really crazy. Uh, Yeah. Really crazy. So, so you kind of, how long did it, how long was your relationship from when you met him in 1995 until it ended? Almost four years. Four years. Yeah. And so you kind of. periods in the book, like you see that I, I, I try to get away from him and then it's back again. And it was a vicious, terrible cycle. It's not uncommon, unfortunately. Yeah. I think a lot of abusive relationships are like that. He's going to change. Things are going to be different. Promises are made. Right. I mean, that, there's like a standard kind of like dynamic. So you get out and kind of go on your own way, live your life up until fairly recently, right? I mean, you didn't hear much from him for decades. Is that correct? I didn't hear anything from him, but when I had my kids... Um... I'm not going to give it away, but I did see him again. You know, if they read the book, they'll they'll understand that there was another meeting. Um, but I, I walked away. But it was really weird. Also, a really weird encounter. Um, but, yeah, you know, fast forward, May, May, uh, May of 2018, I reached out to Jim DeRogatis, who is a music journalist and a professor and he's an investigative journalist as well. And he has been reporting on this, you know, Robert, since um, the tapes tapes landed on his lap. <laughs> like, they mailed the tapes to him and he he gave the tapes to the police. And I'm talking about the tapes that led him to be um, charged with that child pornography where he went to trial in 2008 and got off. Right. And Delgadis was he was in South Beach too, or he's in Miami Beach too. No, right? he was in Chicago, Chicago. But okay, sorry. But the the thing is, like, what he when I called him when he called me because I I emailed Buzzfeed and they called me right away, 
And I said, I don't want to talk to anyone except Jim. And they were like, okay. So Jim called and he goes, I've been waiting. I've been waiting over 20 years to talk to you. And I was like, I was like, what? He goes, yeah, Barry Hankerson told me about the girl in Miami, the Spanish girl. You better find her because he did a number on her. So he had Barry, been waiting was, on him. Barry Hankerson was part of the entourage, right? Right. That was Aaliyah's right. uncle. That was Aaliyah's uncle. Gotcha. So he, that was kind of like the reporting was, I was almost, I, I likened it to Epstein's story where I think it was Julie Brown in Miami did a report and that kind of. Right peeled the onion. So do you feel like this was the same type of thing happening in 2018? Um, I believe so. You know, he, he never let it go. You know, he really believed that brown and black women matter and he never stopped, you know, reporting on it. And I mean, he had death threats. He had his house shot up like this man didn't have to get involved in this, but I, you know, I, I have a really good relationship with him. He's my friend. And I trusted him. Like, I knew he was the one that I wanted to talk to first. You know, over, I didn't even want to talk about it anymore afterward. I didn't plan for all of this, you know. And he told my story. And in the article, and it's called He's a Predator. And that was my quote, He's a Predator. And when that came out, um, NPR reported the response from the PR team was that he was brokenhearted. And then I said, well, my response is I was life broken. So there you go. And so that kind of unraveled. And then the next step was the producers of Lifetime wanted you to be involved in a, a documentary, correct? Right. Uh, uh, Joycelyn Savage's parents. So Joycelyn Savage is the young woman who's still with him. She's sticking by him. Mm -hmm. And um, he 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 kind of did the same thing with her. She wanted to be a singer. She was from Georgia and um, in college. And she left college and she became so isolated from her parents that her parents, you know, went to Jim and Jim reported the story. And then he reported Jahan the Pace's story, who's the six, she was 16 when he started a relationship with her. I thought, I don't say relationship, he started raping her because that's a rape. Right, statutory um, rape. Right, and he was uh, a grown man and going on, he was on trial for child pornography and there he's meeting a 16 year old and starting that with her. So this man is very sick. And um, and needs to be away forever. So when I heard about these people, you know, I said I better say something because um, I have to give them, you know, I have to say something because this has been going on for too long, you know. But they're calling them liars. They're not liars. I know. I know that they're not lying. So the parents reached out to a production company because they wanted to expose all of what had been going on. And they had learned about me from Jim and my story. And then they had the producers call me and ask me if I would be interested in going on the record with them. And so that was it. And, and the experience was kind of like uh, opening old wounds for you. Is that correct? Would you agree? Absolutely. With I mean, I didn't, uh, you know, I'm all about, I'm all from my heart. You know what I mean? I do things sometimes and I don't think I'm thoroughly through like how it's going to affect me. Cause I'm always worried about everyone else and, and helping everyone else. And that's something that I'm working on. Um, you know, like an empath, you know, it's, it sometimes it becomes tr truly exhausting. And, you know, I, I got involved in this thing, but you know, my life was really good when, when, when I got involved in this, I really didn't have to, I really wanted these girls to come out, you know, leave him and leave the house. And I wanted the parents 
to have someone to stand by them and say, yes, you know, this happened to me, the same exact story. You know, they're not lying. This, we need help. And that's why I did it. And, um, and I wanted him to be held accountable, but you know, I lost my job. I had break-ins in my house. Um, just everything you can imagine. Threats, like, yeah, threats, threats yeah. online bullying, social media, yeah. social media. I mean, kill Lizette pages. Just you know, going after my kids. I mean, everything you can imagine. You know, the documentary. The producers made a lot of money off of this, and I don't think they understood thoroughly how to deal with survivors. Um, looking back, I'm like, you know, there's certain things that need to happen. You need to have a trauma informed specialist there, therapist on on set. You know, if the person is breaking down, you don't just sit there and just keep filming. Yeah, keep filming. Like, they, this is a real person. With this is a real, this is real life. You know, they profit off survivor stories and they don't protect us. And and that's why I really wanted to add that into the book because. You know, I'm calling on Hollywood to step up. Yeah, don't hold your breath on that. I mean, unfortunately. And you actually were interviewed by the FBI too, right? That's right. Can you talk about that? Yeah, I met with them. Um, they really wanted to meet with me. And I met with them with my attorney, Gloria Allred, in New York City. It was about, I don't know, five or six of them or somebody from Homeland Security. And, you know, they believe me, like they told me, we believe you, you know, and it wasn't an easy thing to do. I mean, even when I think about it, I get like my body starts, I get like a little bit feeling of anxiety because it was a lot to go through and um, to talk about yet again, you know, but I knew that I had to do it because at the end of the day, I'm Jane Doe number nine. And my 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 testimony and what I said to them helped help to convict him. And Gloria Allred said in her 47 years of legal practice, he was the worst predator she had ever seen. Like, right. That's something else. And uh, right. So, I mean, did you I mean, for me, the vastness of the depravity of what I read about Art Kelly was really incredible. I mean. There's so many people that injured. How many people do you think, and you're kind of being around surviving R. Kelly, how many people think do you think he really abused? How many women? Hundreds. Hundreds, yeah. I Just don't even, I don't think we're even near but with uh, wow. how many victims there really are. I mean, this guy, this is what he did. He went around the country, went around the world, and just picked up young girls. And that's that's the truth. And and there's a lot of women that don't want to come out. You know, they see what happened to us. They see they may have a new life. You know, it's not easy to do, to do what we did. We gave up a lot. But I'm I'm sure there's hundreds and hundreds. I, I mean, I don't know. It's, there's a lot. I thought the same thing about Cosby because I bet a lot of the women went on and had got married and had kids and did not want to bring up the ugliness. So the the courageousness of those women to come forward like you. Right. Thank like you. Cosby, so, I mean, I you know, it's you. just some people just don't, you know, they want to, you want to forget, you know, you don't want to get involved in that. But um, we, we, I knew I had to because I just knew I had to. I mean, this, th- there's a greater purpose for me in, in all of this. And that is to speak my truth and to help other women. And I just was read when I was researching kind of the background, I came across a woman by the name of Portia Williams. Have you heard of her? Yes, I have. And she said, this is a housewife of Atlanta, kind of the same thing as you. This is a recent story in the last couple of days, is that she was in the same, kind of the same kind of MO 
put in into a room and then R. Kelly would pop in and do horrible things. But she wanted to leave his house after overhearing the sounds of women screaming and being beaten. Right. It's off the charts. It's, yeah, it's off the charts. It's ridiculous. Um, and I, did, well, I wish, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be honest with you because I don't really home back when I talk. Okay. Like for her, she has a huge platform. And I mean, we were being dragged all, all over by everyone. No one in the industry would step up for us. The only people that stood out were Lady Gaga, uh, Kerry Washington, um, John Legend, and a comment. Yeah, maybe like five, six artists came out and said they supported us. And it's just like, you have a huge platform and then you just come out with a book and then you tell, you know, that's when you tell your story, but no one really stood by us. So, you know, I'm not trying to throw no shade. I really feel bad that that happened to her, but it's just like, you know, we need, we need, we need people with platforms to kind of like stick up for us and be there and say, you know what, I'm just like these young girls and she didn't do that. So, you know, I wish her the best and I hope that she heals from this. Yeah. And I mean, that the incentives of, to keep this person going, they have to know that they're an industry and so many people are relying on them to bring in money like Michael Jackson or something that Nobody wants to stop the money train is my guess. Is that That's right? where it is. That's what, for me, I have a problem with people because, you know, like, and I just say it because I say it, like Jennifer Lopez has a song with him. You know, I'm a Puerto Rican girl just like her with had a lot of dreams and stars in my eyes. And, you know, Gaga took the track off. A lot of the artists took the track off. Like they took it off all streaming. Right. When they worked for, when they worked with him, right? So a lot right. of Right. So like th that music is gone. And, you know, it's like some people are still holding on to it. And it's to me, it's like, I'm just like, I'm, sh I'm in shock. Like, I just can't believe that they still will have a song, you know, in their catalog with this person. Right. Child pornography, man act, transporting mm -hmm. between states. Like, it really dark. Very, very dark. Captured. People keep, it's almost like a cult. You can't talk to your parents. It is a cult. It yeah. is a cult. And I say, he, I was in a cult. It's just that I didn't live in this house, but I was a part of the cult. Yeah. Mind control, right. manipulation, the whole bit. Yeah. You know, it, you, yeah. you forget to be yourself. You you, you just, you, you turn into what he wants you to become. And that's a scary, dangerous thing. Yeah, I'm sorry that happened to you. Uh, yeah. And he's going to be sentenced in six months. What are your thoughts? Uh, you said that you would be there, right? Can you talk about that? Well, yeah, um, I intend to give my statement, you know. Um, they let the victims come in and give statements. So I intend to... I hopefully will be able to do that. Um, I can't say yes or no because I can't confirm. It's kind of like top secret. I'm not supposed to really talk about it, but I'll just say that I hope to be there and I hope to address him and let him know exactly what he did to me. And, and you know, and I feel like this is a really good way of, for me to get it all, you know, to get it all out because he'll have to sit there and just listen. No one will be able to say objection. No one will be able to, you know, uh, railroad me on the stand. You know, I get to say my piece. They had something like that that it put up on my broadcast of all the women who were abused by Jeffrey Epstein. He was dead, but it was very powerful. The court let the women come in in the Crime Victim right, Rights Act and just say their piece. And I think it was very powerful. So Yes, it is. Hopefully. And I thanks so much for sharing the story. I'm sure it's painful, traumatic. Um, an excellent book. Really, I felt like it was a really did you like it? Right. Did yes. You, did you like because it? First person, you know, it's a first person account. Right. So I think I think, really uh, I think it's well written. 
I really, I, I, I so. get a lot of good feedback from it. I'm getting a lot of good feedback. And it's almost like you kind of got re uh, abused by the documentary. By the people. documentary, yeah. yeah, and everything that comes along with that. So yeah. Yeah. there's a lot more. There's a lot more in this book, guys. You gotta get the book. <laughs> the audio's there. Where's I mean. The best place is Amazon, right? Or Barnes and Noble. Amazon, Barnes and Noble. Uh, the audio book is on Amazon, and the the it's uh, went to hardcover, so that's I mean I guess is doing well. And I'm very appreciative for everyone that's bought that's bought the book and and and, and writes a review and reaches out, whatever you know. I just I'm very gracious and and happy about that. Um, I hope the book helps women and and, and men also. You know. I'm, I'm, I'm for men too, you know, men are abused as well. Anyone going through something could read this book. You know, I'm still standing, I'm still going, I'm still smiling despite the days that I have anxiety and, you know, the PTSD stuff, but I keep going and I just want to help others with my safe homes for women. I'm going to build one in Puerto Rico with my nonprofit and, you know, we just got to keep the narrative. We got to save these kids. Right. And uh, it has 18 five-star reviews and where's the best, you have a uh, Instagram page, right? Yeah, it's called, uh, it's, I am Lizette Martinez. That's my name. And then I have, uh, what else do I have? <laughs> my, uh, e they can email me if they want to chat or whatever. Um, anyone that needs help, I'm always around. It's called uh, we write 413 at gmail.com. Gmail.com. I'll put that in the show notes. Thank you. And it's two Z's, two T's, Martinez. Yes. And again, the title of the book is Jane Doe Number Nine: How I Survived R. Kelly by Lizette Martinez. Just published October 2021. Lizette, thanks so much for your time. Thank really you for having it. me. Thank All you right. so much. Take care. Bye bye. Right. Bye bye. Stay there. Stay there. Okay. Cool. That was